Thursday, July 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Rule Breaker, Simon Erickson, and from Fool.com, David Hanson. Happy Thursday, gents. Yo. Thanks for having us, Chris. Big weekend plans? Never. (laughs) (laughs) See, the difference between you and me is when people ask me that, I give the same answer, but that's because my weekends are taken up with, you know, kids and, 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 you, I have no excuse. You have, no, no, no. I'm you, planning a wedding, so I got that. I mean, that do you, are you planning a wedding? I am. That takes a while. Oh wow! I did not know that. Yeah. Congratulations. Let's keep that. Let's keep this a wedding-free zone. We will. Keep, <laughs> you know what? I've been there, and I know the importance of wedding-free zones. So mm-hmm. let's move on. Uh, we will talk earnings. We've got financials. We've got the toy industry. But let's start with Microsoft. Uh, last week there were rumors and reports. That Microsoft was going to lay off somewhere in the neighborhood of five to six thousand people. Uh, this morning, CEO Satya Nadella sent an email to all of Microsoft's employees, and the subject line on the email was "Starting to evolve our organization and culture." And the end result, Simon, is that they're cutting eighteen thousand jobs over the next twelve months. Most of those jobs are going to be cut in the next six months, and most of the jobs, twelve and a half thousand of them. From Nokia, uh, stock up a little bit on an otherwise down day for the market. So this is being seen. While this is going to be painful for the eighteen thousand people losing their jobs, this is being seen sort of across the board as a good move by Nadella. Yeah, Chris, and and this is just like the headlines are saying. This is streamlining Microsoft's operation. We we've seen the company make seven one billion dollar plus acquisitions. A lot of that under Steve Ballmer, and uh, Nadella is basically changing the direction of the ship right now. He said in that email that their their agenda is going to be mobile first and cloud first, and they're really going to be moving away from devices and services, stuff like Xbox and some other hardware plays that they've made in the past. So, you know, you can now get Office 365 in the cloud. Uh, you can get a lot of their different platforms in the cloud as well. I think Nadella is trying to develop those, uh, make his users more efficient, and really develop the uh, the platforms that they've kind of had as the core of the company. David, were you surprised by the number? Because, I, I, I mean, I saw all those reports. It just seems like, for all the times we have seen large companies, and Microsoft right now has somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 employees, we've seen big companies with tens of thousands of employees announce layoffs and it's it ends up being you know one to two percent of the workforce that sort of thing, and in some cases, particularly when we've seen retailers do this, our reaction in general is, gosh, you gotta you gotta cut more costs than that. I, I gotta admit, I was genuinely surprised that Nadella came out and said we are cutting basically eighteen percent of the workforce. I was very surprised. I saw it pop up on my phone this morning, and I had to look at it twice. I said eighteen thousand people. That that is a lot, but but again, it's probably the right move. I mean, streamlining streamlining the company makes sense here. And it's better to do it early in his tenure as CEO. You wouldn't want to be there for three years and then say, oh, wait, now we're cutting 18,000 people. That's kind of an indication that things aren't working. Maybe a move of desperation if you wait a long time to do it. But if you do it early and often, or maybe not, hopefully not often, <laughs> if you do it early in your tenure, uh, I think it's more digestible to the existing employees and saying, okay, it's a new guy. This is his new, it's the new way of running things here rather than doing it later. So, I think it's probably the right move. And for anyone who thought that Satya Nadella coming in as CEO after Steve Ballmer's long tenure, if anyone thought, well, he's going to tread lightly, he's going to pay deference to Ballmer's history at the company, no. (laughs) 
I mean, um, you know, I saw one analyst quote uh, saying this move is the next best thing to getting rid of Nokia altogether. I mean, Simon, we talk about the acquisitions they make. This this is basically setting fire to Steve Ballmer's biggest acquisition. It is, you know, and and like you said, you know, a lot of those big acquisitions were were empire building for Ballmer, and Nadella is, is making a statement here saying, hey, I don't want to do that. This is a different direction I'm bringing this company. What do you think of the stock right now? It's up somewhere in the neighborhood of 18% year to date. It's I don't know. Is it richly valued? Is is this a stock that still has room to run, or do you maybe look at this and say, "Well, wait a minute. I'm going to see how the next six months plays out with this new direction, with the lower costs, and with the Nokia division essentially being gutted." It looks a little pricey for me, you know, Chris. We're we're the we're the rule breakers, so we're looking to disrupt the the massive industry players like Microsoft out there. Uh, if they do continue to innovate, maybe it's worth the price tag right now. But in my opinion, it's a little pricey. You agree? I think it's a steady as she goes type thing. I mean, you're not going to see a 300% gain. You're not going to see a rule breaker type return from from this company here. But a year ago, it was trading at 12 times earnings, still had great cash flow generating businesses, and it was a perfect example where someone's looking at this company. It's it's not a sexy thing to invest in, right? I mean, it's Microsoft. They haven't done anything super exciting in 10 years, but again, making a lot of cash, cheap valuation relative to the rest of the market even a year ago. So I, I would say. If you're looking for a company that's kind of reliable, going to continue to generate cash, pay you some dividends, it's worth a look. Second quarter profits from Morgan Stanley nearly doubled. Uh, part of that, David, was a tax benefit. But uh, you look at what they're doing in their investment banking division, their wealth management division, uh, they seem to be operating quite well. Quite well and quite different from the old Morgan Stanley that many people might think of. Of First thing you think of when you hear Morgan Stanley is, the company that almost went under in 2008. I mean, they were right there. This was, it was very ugly. And there's a new CEO in there, uh, James Gorman. He's been the CEO, I think, since since 2010. And he's a very different guy. First of all, he's Australian. He's not American. And unlike most of the other Wall Street CEOs, this guy was not a banker coming in. He was not a investment banker. He was not a trader like Lloyd Blankfein. Very different background. He came from McKinsey. So kind of an operational, let's get efficient, let's do the right thing for the company, let's not take outsized risk. And he's been focused on the wealth management part of the business. So uh, the offices you see around the country managing families' wealth, stuff like that, not a very risky business. This isn't Wall Street trading. This is people giving their money, fee, advising over time. Uh, So he's kind of rationalized the business saying, what do I want Morgan Stanley to do? I want to take less risk. I want to have reliable profit margins. And that's what they've been doing. And you've seen the stock double over the last year and a half or so. I mean, two years ago, this was trading at a 60% discount to book. That's crazy. You either have to, you're either going to go out of business or you can only do things right at a 60% discount to book. I mean, that's dirt cheap and he's come in and he's done a good job and now it trades around one times book. So good job to Gorman. When we talk about the big Wall Street banks, we we tend to lump them together, but Wells Fargo gets set to the side a little bit. Uh, someone made the comment the other day that this is Wells Fargo is really the, the the world's biggest community bank, that sort of thing. Should we start putting Morgan Stanley aside as well, or not putting it aside, but sort of making the caveat like, well, wait a minute. Yes, they're a big Wall Street bank, but they're not doing the same things that Goldman Sachs and Bank of America are doing. To some extent, yes. I mean, they're they don't want to try to compete on what Goldman Sachs is great at. Goldman Sachs is the best when it comes to trading on Wall Street. And Morgan Stanley's happy with saying, 
hey, you guys can be number one in trading. We don't want to compete with you. We're going to focus on wealth management and advising on mergers and acquisitions. So uh, I think it's I think that's fair to say that we shouldn't lump them as an exact comp to Goldman Sachs going forward. Shares of Mattel falling this morning after second quarter profits were hit by lower sales of Barbie and the line of Fisher Price preschool toys. I mean, I know they got a bunch of things going on at Mattel. I know that, but this is one of those things where it's you know live by the sword, die by the sword. It's live by the Barbie doll, die by the Barbie doll. And for the last, you don't hear that every day. <laughs> <laughs> and for the last six months, sales are just getting whacked. And I, I don't know. This the, I'm a little surprised because I was running the numbers this morning, just sort of looking at the relative performance of Mattel and Hasbro and that sort of thing. Because I, I, just as I lump big Wall Street banks together, I lump the biggest toy makers together. Hasbro is just kicking the hell out of Mattel over the last couple of years in terms of the stock performance. And Chris, you said it right. You know, I think Mattel is much more of a of a toy company. We've been looking at the last two quarters, and Barbie's just been continually down. Um, I think that Hasbro has really got a little bit better of the, of the claws in distribution and these alternate channels that aren't just toys. You know, you're making movies, you're using your brands in different ways to distribute to your consumers, and that's worked well for them. Mattel is is still seeing declines in Barbie, and and something that I'd like to see them do a little bit more of is kind of work the online channel. I've got a five-year-old niece now that is completely fluent in using an iPad, which is amazing. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen Mattel kind of try to work with Amazon, get some content out there, but I'd love to see them expand even a little bit more that mobile strategy. I think the CEO at Mattel had mentioned sort of their uh, direct, their, you know, in, in maybe in a desperate attempt to look for a silver lining in the quarter. Because again, yes, Barbie sales were down. Pretty much everything was down across the board. Although I think you said right before we started taping, American Girl doll sales were up slightly. Buy American. American Girl was up six percent. <laughs> uh, but you know, the CEO said something about like, well, you know, direct con- to consumer was up, and and I just thought, well, really, is that? Like people are going to Mattel.com to transact. That uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, well, you know what's interesting, Chris, is that you know they really didn't have a great holiday quarter, and then we also saw inventories up 36 percent from even the last quarter too. So you've got a lot of toys that are that are sitting on the on the Mattel shelves, if you will. Um, and how do you counteract that? You find other ways to find your consumers, and that's why I still think a digital strategy would work well for them. Yeah, and, and when I look at the company too, is it's hard to get excited about anything they're really doing. They don't have a huge electronic presence or mobile presence. The toy business is kind of in decline for them. So it's a perfect example of, okay, maybe this is a company that's out of favor and the price makes a lot of sense to maybe consider this. But looking at the stock today, it still doesn't even look super cheap to me. I mean, it's risen with the market and it's lagged recently, but over the last several years, this isn't one that's languished and hasn't gone anywhere. So even though the business is not great, maybe an attractive value candidate, doesn't look like a value to me, so I'm having a hard time finding anything that gets me excited to look at Mattel. Yeah, even considering the last couple of years where Hasbro's stock performance has dramatically outperformed Mattel's, Hasbro as a company is roughly half the size of Mattel. So yeah, to your point, I mean, it's not an overly cheap stock. It's still a, a pretty large business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I'm I'm a little surprised. It's, it's hard to find like if this was an example where you'd say, okay, the business isn't going anywhere, but they have the the founder CEO is still there and he owns ten percent of the company. The CEO of this company has like two million dollars in Mattel shares. I mean, there's no inside ownership. There's not a lot for me to get for a tw- here. for a twelve billion dollar company. Yeah, it's yeah. not much. Uh, a couple of programming notes before we wrap up uh, because we have gotten some inquiries from listeners. 
Uh, Uncle Joe Mager will be back in studio in early August. Uh, he's making the trek back from Australia, so he will be here in early August. Um, and David, since you're here in studio, I wanted to mention once again where the money is. Uh, the show the, of which you are the co-creator. By the way, do you get like do you get revenue in the same way that when the Hollywood list comes out every year of the ten? people who made the most money that year, mm-hmm. and Dick Wolf is always on that list because he's the creator of the Law & Order series, like mm-hmm. the 17 Law & Order series. Do, do you get some sort of residual benefit? Because, oh, yeah. Oh, okay, great. You are, are you not getting any for this I'm show? getting nothing for this. So I, uh, I, I negotiated. I took all of Matt Kopenheffer's chair, too. I oh. mean, I just- See, you got to negotiate. Yet another reason why you're smarter than me. Um, but where the money is, uh, what started as a show uh, entirely about uh, banking and financial services has now expanded. Um, if you could just share a little bit about it. Yep. Uh, so we used to be banking financial services every single day, Monday through Friday. For the people who really loved banking, that was awesome. But not everyone loves banking. I know Simon's not the biggest banking fan. He wants to hear about other things. So we've rolled out the same format of diving into one industry per day to some other industries. So we have financials on Monday, Tuesday is consumer goods, Wednesday is healthcare, uh, Thursday is energy, and Friday we either run an interview that uh, The Fool has has done in the past. Uh, We're also talking to Jason Moser and Brendan Matthews from Stock Advisor about pitching and doing some Friday episodes. So it's kind of a wild card day, uh, a fun one to go into the weekend. So I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. Uh, I listen to the healthcare guys all the time. I never thought I'd learn about, uh, about biotechs and all that stuff. So, highly recommend checking out the other the other episodes. Check out Where the Money Is. You can find it on iTunes, on Stitcher, your mobile platform of choice, your spoken word platform of choice. Definitely check it out. Simon Erickson, David Hanson, thanks for being here, guys. Thanks a lot, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Carl Simon. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.